From the football field to the theology classroom, this is Dive Deep. Sean Hussey, a 2013 graduate of Charleston High School, was quarterback of their football team. A first-team All-State selection, he holds records for passing yards, touchdowns, and completions in a game, season, and career. Then he walked on as a quarterback at the University of Illinois in Champaign. Today, our Catholic faith is his passion, as this year he starts as a theology teacher at St. Anthony High School in Effingham. But that passion for our faith wasn't always there. He's going to tell us the story, and Sean joins us today on Dive Deep. Sean, thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, thanks, Andrew. It's a pleasure to be here. Excellent. We are so glad you're here. And uh, for our listeners, a quick note, if you enjoy listening to Dive Deep and you'd like to financially support us as we continue our podcast, enjoy these interviews, enjoy those tough Catholic theology questions we've been talking about over the past couple of years, go to dio.org give. That's dio.org slash give. Now, Sean, take us back to uh, your high school days uh, and your faith. I know you were breaking records at Charleston High School, as we mentioned. You were a four-time uh, varsity letter winner in tennis as well, so a big-time athlete. You grew up in a Catholic household. You went to Mass. You went to confession. But you've said uh, at that time in your uh, part of your life that your heart was far from God. You had no relationship with Him. Take us back to those high school days and almost kind of going through the motions of the Catholic faith. Yeah, that's a great way to describe it. Definitely going through the motions. Uh, my parents are, um, are unbelievable people, uh, Saints Kevin and Kathy. Uh, and and they, they really are. And they taught me and my, and my four older siblings to love God. And that was clearly the priority of their life. Um, so I was always grateful for that. And I always knew that in my life. So I had a really solid foundation of, of what should be the priority or what should be essential to my, to my life. Um, and so... Um, yeah, so that was definitely an aspect of my life at, the, at that time and growing up in a Catholic family and that was the priority of, of what we did and who, and who my, my parents were in particular and started to kind of see that in my siblings as well the older I got. But for whatever reason, especially middle school and high school during these high school football days, um, being Catholic to some degree was important to me. Uh, I would lead prayers uh, before the game and even after the game that kind of b became a tradition. Uh, so there's clearly something within me that my parents fostered, a desire to know God and to follow Him. But I was living this double life, going through the motions. I didn't really see how, although important, how it really applied to my life. And so on the one hand, professing to be a Christian, I kind of just lived another way uh, and really just became entrenched in a life of sin, a life of selfishness. Of course, I was caught up in playing football, and, and I really enjoyed that, and there was a lot of good, good in my life as a part of that. Um, but my life was just fixed. It was all about me, and it was all about kind of that pursuit, selfishness, um, and a lot of other sins, especially in relation to purity and, and impurity in relationships with, with girls at the time. And so um, I've heard it said before, the more entrenched in sin we are, the more rational it becomes. Uh, and that was kind of just where I was at in high school. Uh, there's kind of this double life where I knew what was right and wrong, you know, this like um, in Deuteronomy, God says through Moses, like I've set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life so that you may live. Um, and the Didache, the first century catechism, begins by saying the same, the same thing. Um, and so for me, it was kind of like my parents set before me these options of life and death, blessing and curse. So um, I knew the path to life. I knew what was right. I had a good sense of morality. Um, but I kind of just reached a point in my life where I became so entrenched in this habit of sin 
um, that I stopped feeling the guilt maybe I knew that I should feel or that I once had. It, became, it kind of came, became entrenched in it. Um, it became easy to rationalize for me. And then something changed your senior year, as I've, I've seen your story before, because uh, a question was asked of you uh, from a, class, a classmate of yours that you kind of least expected. Paige was her name. I know you described her as a prayerful Protestant at the time, and uh, she was one you were attracted to. Um, and she asked you just a simple question, but a profound question. Why are you Catholic? Take us back to that moment. Set the scene for us because I know that it, it kind of slapped you across the face. A, someone you were attracted to, you were interested in, a Protestant, and she asked you this profound question. As you mentioned, you're, you're, living, you're living a double life. And so that kind of hit you like a ton of bricks, didn't it? Mm -hmm. It did. And the more I thought about it, the more it hit me, I would say. Uh, for whatever reason, that was never a question that I'd ever considered. And I don't know why I didn't consider that. She loved Jesus and she was pursuing a relationship with him and that was a really clear part about her life. And, and there was something about her life that I was attracted to beyond just her physical beauty and that was it. It was that she was different than any of my other classmates. She was somebody who really did love God and pursued a relationship with him. In particular, she prayed every day and she read scripture every day, which are two things that I never um, really thought about doing or, or considered doing. And so she, she, that was clearly a part of her life. And so kind of as we started to get to know each other, we started to have a dating relationship. Uh, she really wanted to know why I was Catholic. So for, from her perspective, it, it wasn't coming from a place of hostility necessarily. She just didn't actually see how somebody could um, claim to follow Jesus and be a Catholic. She didn't see how those two things fit together. And so she wanted to know why I was Catholic. And so that's where the question came from. And it was a question that I hadn't considered, but when she asked me, um, I did think it was a good question. Do you remember what you said? Uh, nothing good. I, I, I said, I don't know, I think. I said, my family's Catholic, you know, I don't know, I'm raised Catholic, but I don't know. I think I told her, I don't really, I guess beyond that, I'm not really sure why. And that made you think, because you're like, that's not a good enough answer. Correct. I said, that's not, that's not a good enough answer at all. And it was at that time, I was, it was, we started dating like right before I left to go to the University of Illinois in the summer, because we had summer workouts. Um, and kind of as soon as I left, this question was like going through my mind and resonating in my mind. And I started to spend a lot of time um, uh, thinking about it and, and diving more into that question. I'm happy to unfold that if you'd like. Well, yeah, I was going to get it. Um, okay, after that question, you start thinking about it more tangibly. That led you to, to kind of pick up our faith. What, what, what did you do exactly after that question? Obviously, you thought about it, you prayed about it. Mm -hmm. But did you start to see yourself tangibly like take our faith more seriously, maybe adoration, going to confession legitimately. Did, did things start to pick up for you in your faith life? They did. So things started to go simultaneously. I mean, because like I said, the foundation that I had, I, I really never considered not going to Mass or missing Mass. So even though I really felt like I didn't really see how this applied to my life and I was going through the motions, it was important enough to me that I knew I should be here. There was something within me that just said I should be at Mass. And so I continued to do that, but meanwhile that summer, I would say I had a real intellectual pursuit of that question. And the first place that I did that was just by reading Scripture for the first time in my life on my own, um, especially the New Testament. Um, and I, among other things, I was very moved by the New Testament. I was very moved by Jesus and by the apostles and by their writings. And in particular, I was very convinced that I was seeing Catholicism everywhere. Um, you know, these things that I would grew... Uh, growing up being taught that my parents certainly believed. Um, things like the real presence of Jesus in the Eucharist or the nature of baptism and the necessity of baptism uh, to be a child of God and, and for salvation, um, for the need to confess our sins not only to one another but actually through the ministry of the priesthood. 
Um, all these things I was seeing as I was just reading the New Testament as a primary document. Uh, Paige was reading the New Testament, so I thought this is a great place to start. So we actually read through the, through the New Testament together, um, just from start to finish, and it's the first time that I ever did that. As I was kind of having this intellectual discovery, I would say it was a real intellectual conversion. Um, I became convinced um, not only of Catholicism, but even the foundation of Catholicism, the person of Jesus Christ. Um, and that conviction of Jesus and the church that he established um, really led to, as you were kind of asking about, um, a more important interior conversion in my life. And I would say as an adult, it was the first real interior conversion um, that I ever had. Um, uh, and by that, I just mean like a real turning of my life to the Lord. And so I remember some Tuesday morning before a workout, going to uh, the, the, the chapel at, on campus and go, having my first honest confession, uh, really feeling drawn. Like if this is true, and I, I believe that it's true intellectually, then my life needs to look different. And what I need first is mercy. And in this moment, did you and Paige start to have more conversations? Did you have better answers? Did you, did you go back to that question of why am I Catholic with her? Definitely. I, I would just say it was an ongoing conversation. Um, it, I don't think the conversation really stopped after that, after she asked that question. I just started a series of conversations. And so pretty quickly, following Jesus became for both of us um, the priority of our life. It, it permeated everything that we did, not just going to Mass and these spiritual things. But it started to permeate our relationship, of course, um, class and work and sports and all these things. We saw how being a disciple wasn't just to be a compartment in our life, to be on the sidelines of our life, but it should permeate our entire life. It should be everything that we do. Um, but with that, there were some real disagreements that we also had about um, how to follow Jesus, you know, uh, how Jesus wanted us to follow him. And so we started to have a lot more questions, and that unfolded over the next several years. And speaking over the next several years, okay, so you went to the University of Illinois, walked down as a quarterback, as we mentioned, um, after a very successful career in Charleston. Uh, then you went to EIU after you transferred from the U of I. And then after college, all of a sudden, here you are working for the Catholic Church. You went over to the Archdiocese of Indianapolis, worked at a parish before moving actually to the diocese and working in, uh, in youth ministry uh, or a young adult ministry. Uh, when you, what went through your mind of, a, you know, obviously you're, you're transitioning, you're, you're picking up your faith, and now here you are. Did you ever expect, oh my gosh, I'm going to be working for the Catholic Church right, right after college? Uh, early on after that conversion, no, I never expected it. I think the last thing I would have wanted to do is, was work for the Catholic Church. Um, but actually, there was a person who, who I met that really made an impact on my desire to want to work for the church, and his name was Norm. And shortly, I met him actually at the University of Illinois, but I didn't start meeting with him until I transferred back to Eastern. Uh, Norm was a, and is a, a, pro, a, Protestant, a Protestant Christian, um, and Norm really discipled me. And I met him, like I said, at Illinois. When I transferred back, he started to drive at least once a week to see me, and we'd meet for coffee or for lunch. And Norm was just a model for me about what it looked like to be a disciple. Uh, and he, he gave his life to, to service of the church and, and focusing on discipling people and, um, and meeting in small groups and teaching people the Bible. And more than anything, Norm taught me not only like to know things about Jesus, but he taught me how to follow him. And he really helped to cultivate within me um, what I would say, like the heart and habits of a disciple of Jesus. Not only what a disciple of Jesus should believe, but how a disciple of Jesus should live how to cultivate a daily prayer life, how to read scripture every day, how to make scripture a really essential part of your life, how to hear God's voice through scripture, how to 
meditate on it and memorize scripture even. Uh, also how to witness of your faith, especially in, in word, how to share the gospel with people. And so he started to meet with me often and he opened up the scriptures to me and I was uh, blown away by him and by his life and the joy that he had in his life and the purpose that he had. But even more than that, when it, it, it really did start, start to lead me to want to go into ministry because of his approach to ministry. I think he really modeled, uh, I guess, or followed the, 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 model method, uh, the, the method modeled by Jesus in that his approach was really focused on relationships. His, his, focus, his approach was really focused on discipling people one-on-one and leading them closer to Jesus or doing that in small groups. Uh, and that kind of approach is what I became really attracted to. I had the opportunity to start to do that in college with my peers, to meet with people one-on-one, to, to lead small groups and things like that. Um, and throughout that time, I really felt like the Lord was calling me to do that as a career. And speaking of, speaking of that career, you're now here in Effingham, going to be teaching theology at St. Anthony High School. What ultimately led you to come from the Archdiocese of Indianapolis to back here to Central Illinois and take this job? Yeah, the Lord opened some doors to make that happen. I, I really still feel like the Lord is asking me to share the gospel with my life and to make sure I'm doing that in the context of relationships. Um, and, and what I was doing with the Archdiocese certainly allowed me to, to be doing that and using my gifts. I, I loved actually the role that I've been in with the Archdiocese and wasn't really looking to leave the position that I was in actually. Um, because I had a great team. I feel like we had a great mission and we were really investing in young adults um, in a serious way. And so I was excited to be a part of that, that team and that office and the, and the long history that they have. Um, but at the same time, you know, I got married like, to Paige and we have two little kids now, um, you know, a two-year-old and a one-year-old. And, uh, you know, our family will probably grow. And we have been praying pretty intentionally the past couple of years for an opportunity to move closer to home, closer to Charleston. Um, Indianapolis has been a great place for us, but we desire for our children to grow up in a smaller town and around a smaller community. And we desire that for ourselves as well, um, just to get to know uh, people a little bit better in the way that you can in a small town. And of course, be closer to both of our parents. Um, that's, and, a, that's key, especially with two kids. You yes. need someone to watch them. Yeah, exactly. And so we've been praying for that opportunity. I, I didn't really know how that would look or how that would work out, but I knew that if, if God wanted us to come back, he'd open up a door. And that's basically what happened. So without boring you with the details, Father Michael Burnt, associate pastor here, a friend of mine, uh, he called me and told me that, about this position. Uh, there was a lot of things that looked like it wouldn't work out. Uh, and like I said, it just really felt like all the doors that should have been closed, the Lord opened those. And it's a great opportunity for us to continue to work for the church um, and to also move closer to home. Now, Sean, so many young adults, so many teens these days have fallen away from the faith. W- what do you hope to bring as a theology teacher to the classroom so you can, you know, mold some minds and hearts? Because we got to be honest, some of the, some of the students you're going to be teaching might be like you in high school where... They were living a double life, or maybe they've completely pieced out from Catholicism in general. Um, but beyond, of course, teaching, you know, do you hope to model? Do you have any things in, in your head of what you kind of want, what you want to do in the classroom and kind of the person you want to be to show these, these teens and young adults that no, Catholicism is the right path and you've got to be serious about it? Well, back to my mentor, Norm. Norm is a model for me, and I, you know, I really look to his guidance in the way that he uh, modeled discipleship and investing in people, investing in young people. Um, it, which was that, like, um, Pope Benedict XVI, he said that uh, being a Christian is not the result of an ethical choice or a lofty idea, but it's an event. It's an encounter with a person. Um, my, my, I have a relationship with 
Jesus Christ. I don't have a relationship with theology as much as I love it. And as much as theology is an opportunity to encounter the person of Jesus Christ, um, I've experienced salvation um, and redemption um, from a person, not from theology. And, and Jesus is that person who set me free, and I've experienced the freedom that he longs for me. He says in Galatians, um, for freedom, St. Paul says in Galatians, for freedom Christ has set us free. And so more than anything, I hope to introduce students to the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Hopefully anything that I say or the theology that we study um, is really just a means to an end. It's a means to encounter Jesus more fully in their life. Um, and hopefully it's just I can model what it looks like to be, not just to know things about Jesus, but to know him, to follow him. Um, I think that's what uh, being a disciple is all about. And you mentioned Paige. You two got married, as you said, providentially. You got two children. Um, tell us about her conversion. Because um, obviously you're a prayerful Protestant, as you yes. said, and said in high school. What moved her and what, how excited you were as a Catholic to welcome her into our faith? As you look back on, on her journey, yeah. tell, us, tell us what happened. Yeah, well, she, um, like I said, she's a follower of Jesus, so she is going to listen to his voice and follow him wherever he leads. And so she cared about that. So she cared about truth as a result of that. Um, and as I started to dive deeper into my Catholic faith, um, I was really excited about it, of course, and I was sharing a lot of the things that I was learning with her. And I really wanted her to consider being Catholic in the same way that I feel like I should consider being a Protestant, you know. Um, just evaluate evidence and go where it leads. Be willing to do that. Um, you know, where there's truth, like God is leading us in that direction. So Paige was really open to these questions um, and the disagreements that, that are there between her particular tradition of Protestantism and Catholicism. And uh, she just continued to study these things for herself. She was never interested in just becoming Catholic um, for me, for my sake, or if we got married one day, uh, or anything like that. She wanted to become Catholic because she was convinced it was true, and it was where God was leading her. And so she continued to pray and investigate the claims in the same way that I had. Um, and gradually, over the next four years or so, um, she really became convinced of Catholicism, and ultimately that led to her decision to become Catholic. Um, you know, interestingly, she never had an issue with um, the doctrines related to Mary. Um, so early on when we were dating, Paige was actually really uh, attracted to Mary and really drawn to that aspect of Catholicism because she had felt like, um, she, her mother and her grandma, there's a lot of women in her life who were just like rock solid people, women of faith. And she saw Mary as being a model for, for us in that way. And she didn't really have any misconceptions about what the church actually taught about Mary and her role, you know, in our, in our, in our life of discipleship. And so she just felt like growing up as a Protestant, uh, Mary just didn't get any attention at all. And so interestingly, she was actually like praying the rosary before she believed in the Eucharist or, um, or confession to a priest or things like that. She was, wait, she was praying the rosary even before she became Catholic? She was. Yeah, yeah. She was praying the rosary for a couple of years. So it was almost inevitable uh, that Mary was interceding for her and, and leading her to, you know, to the church. Um, but, but, you know, that, was an, that became an aspect of her life. She just continued to study, certainly. Um, and over time, from reading Scripture every day as she did, um, and reading a lot of good books and just kind of looking into some of the same things that I did, um, she started to become convinced of the things that she initially struggled with. And I think, you know, we talk about young adults who are not in tune with their faith. Marriage is also a, a, at a critical place in our society right now. Talk about your marriage to Paige and, you know, promote it. What, why do you love being married? What, what makes it so awesome? Yeah, well, Paige is, is an amazing woman, and um, I love being married to her because she leads me closer to Jesus every day. 
I think that's what marriage is ultimately all about. It's a vocation. It's something we discern. Um, and I have discerned a, a, voc a call to the vocation of marriage. Uh, and being married to Paige, we have a responsibility primarily um, to lead each other closer to Christ. Um, and uh, so that's been the foundation of our dating relationship. And going into marriage, that was, of course, the foundation of, of why we're getting married and why we get married in the church specifically. Um, it was important for us to get married in the church because our marriage is, is not about us, but it's about a, it's about a unified pursuit of Christ. Uh, and together we can help in, in leading one another and our children to heaven. So uh, I'm really grateful for, pa for Paige and the influence um, that she, she continues to be in my life and, uh, and how she shows me how to, um, how to follow Jesus and how to, how to be devoted to Him and how to pray every day and read Scripture, all these things that, um, that attracted me to her in the first place continue to be um, a great aspect of our marriage together. So you're a husband, you're a father, you got theology teacher, you're also a host of a popular podcast called Cold Brews and Catholic Truths. Uh, you have over 10,000 subscribers, so very popular, very successful. Tell us about the history there. When did you start it? Why did you start it? And you know, tell us that your life as a podcaster as well. I started it between um, my position at St. Jude, a parish on the south side of Indianapolis, and before transitioning to the Archdiocese. There was a period in there where I was actually doing music full-time, um, and, uh, and I had a little bit more free time on my hands, and it was right before we started having kids. Um, and during that time, though, I really did feel like the Lord had placed on my heart a desire to, of course, to continue to share the gospel, and I feel like I do that every day and when I, when I can in conversation. Um, but I thought, you know, I, uh, I feel like I've been given certain gifts to teach, and I would love to share some of the things that were helpful in my own conversion. Uh, maybe make a few videos about those things. So I made a few videos um, and I put them on YouTube. I thought, you know, probably nobody will see them, but I do know some friends and family will see that and they do see that and that'll hopefully lead to some good conversations and that'll be it. Um, and it certainly did do that. It led to a few conversations and then it, I thought that was it. And then COVID shut the world down a little bit and we were at home actually in Charleston and I was working for the Archdiocese still. Uh, and one day actually, my wife sat me down for whatever reason, and she's told me that she thinks that um, I have gifts uh, to speak and to share the gospel and talk about the truth of Catholicism, and she thinks that I should take the, that YouTube channel a little bit more seriously. And I initially was like, not that interested, because it sounded like a lot of work, which it is. Um, and then, you know, providentially, the next day, one of those videos I had made literally six months ago just caught some traction and just kind of started to take off on YouTube. Uh, and it really did seem like a clear sign to like, okay, I'm at least gonna commit to doing one a week and see how this goes. And so that was kind of the starting point. It was out of a desire just to share the, the beauty and the truth of Catholicism and specifically some of the things that I have found so convincing that, that have brought me so much joy in my life as a Catholic. Uh, started from a desire to do that and then um, kind of beyond my control, some of the videos just happened to catch some attention. And so I've continued to do it. Now, I know, you know, from a culture standpoint, so many people look at your life and they see that that's what I want. You know, you're a, you're a sports star in high school, collegiate athlete, lots of friends. Um, but what's your message to young people? I know we, we kind of touched on it a little bit earlier because you're gonna, obviously going to be molding our young people. But what's your message just in general to young people who, who are always thinking about being a star, being on social media and being this YouTube star and a TikToker and I want to be a sports star? What's your message to them? Um, because our culture seems to value celebrity, obviously it's a 180, celebrity versus a person of faith. 
Um, all of those things will pass away. Um, St. Paul says the, the things that are seen are transient. They're passing. It's the things that are unseen that are eternal. Um, our identity is not caught up in those things. Um, even the good things that are, that are in our life. Our identity is as a child of God, as a beloved son or daughter of God. And that's the only thing um, that can never be taken away from us. A great saint, I mean, I mean we could look to any saint as a model of this, but one I, one I really like to talk about is Blessed Chiara Badano. Um, she's just a, was a, a teenager, a young woman who had a lot of these things going for her, actually. She was yeah, you know, a beautiful young woman. She was very popular, had a lot of friends, was an athlete, was good at tennis. Um, really had a lot going for her in the eyes of the world and a lot of these things that we seek after. Um, and in the midst of all of that, she was diagnosed with terminal brain tumor, terminal cancer. Um, and she started to lose all of these things that she could have divined herself by, right? She lost her physical appearance. She started to lose her hair. Um, she started to lose friends and popularity and relationships. Obviously, her athletic ability diminished and went away. And ultimately, she lost her life um, from this. But in the midst of that tremendous suffering, in the midst of this tremendous loss, um, she was somebody who knew that um, as good as any of those things are, as good as any of the gifts that have been given are, all of those things can and will pass away, but my identity as a daughter of God cannot. So she would lose, she was, you know, she would lose her hair, and she would hold it up and say, "For you, Jesus," you know. And so she'd say, if "This is what you want, then so do I." And there are people who would come in to see her to like cheer her up, or to, you know, to bring her a blessing or bring her joy or whatever, and they would describe leaving her presence actually being the ones filled with joy, um, because she just had this deep sense of joy, this deep sense of peace. Um, that no matter what things she lost in this world, she knew that she could never um, lose Christ and her relationship with Him. So I would just say don't seek after those things. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and then all other things that you need will be given to you. Um, it, these things, you know, the blessings in our life, and um, they are good things. Um, they're, they're nothing that we need to say are negative or bad things in and of themselves. Um, but they can't be the ultimate thing. They can't be the ultimate pursuit because as good as they are, they will pass away. And in terms of uh, grandparents and parents, they may be looking at you and they say, boy, this, this, is what my, this is what I want my son or daughter to, to turn into. On fire for their faith, um, passionate about it, willing to speak about it. But they may seem their, they see their grandchild or their child and, and they've fallen away from the faith. What's your advice to parents and grandparents who have children who have fallen away? What can they be doing? Or, and also even for parents who have young, young children like yourself, what should they be doing, do you think, to try to make sure they don't fall away from the faith? That's a good question. It's a question I think about a lot. I don't know that I have the answer for you. Um, but, you know, my, I guess what I would say is, is prayer. Um, uh, there's a power in prayer. Prayer is, is real. God has given this to us as an opportunity to cooperate with His grace. Uh, and, and our prayer can affect change in this world um, by, in some miraculous, mysterious way that God has foreordained to allow it to, to happen in that way. So I'd say just pray for your children, whether they're in the church or they've fallen away. Uh, continue to pray for them, intercede for them, fast for them, make sacrifice for them, um, and trust in God uh, in the midst of all those things. I, you know, I try to pray for my two children right now every single day, uh, and I just kind of say a simple prayer. I ask God, if you, you know, Lord Jesus, would you... Uh, please give my children the grace of perseverance so that they'd always remain close to you and to your holy church now and throughout their life. Um, and you could pray a similar prayer for a child who's fallen away or has walked away, knowing that nobody's ever too far from the grace and the mercy of God 
Um, and prayer can be a powerful tool in leading people back to Christ. So that would be a, one thing to definitely do. And then not to be afraid for uh, afraid of those conversations, those difficult conversations, uh, to do them as charitably as you can, to ask good questions, rather than just um, uh, have prepackaged statements that you want to share. Ask good questions to see where your children are coming from and to get to know them in their hearts and where they're at. Um, and use those conversations whenever you can, which I know can be really difficult at times with, with family. Um, but I would say those two things. Sean, we'll, we'll finish with this question. So we'll go back to that. That question Paige asked you back in high school. What would your response be today when someone says, Sean, why are you Catholic? <laughs> because Catholicism is, is true. Uh, G.K. Chesterton, Chesterton said, you know, there are 10,000 reasons why I'm Catholic, all amounting to one reason, which is that Catholicism is true. And so that's what I would say. I, I believe that Jesus is God. I believe that um, Jesus came um, in the flesh to redeem us from our sins, to reconcile man back to God. St. Paul says in Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Uh, so this is the good news. The good news is that God demonstrates His love for us, and while we were yet sinners, while I was yet a sinner, uh, Christ died for me. Uh, and I am so grateful for the gift of salvation, and the fullness of that gift is given to us in the Catholic Church, the Church that Jesus Himself established. Um, and He gives His grace to us uh, through the Church and through the sacraments. Um, and so all, those, are, those are the reasons that I'm Catholic, but it all kind of amounts to that one reason that I'm, I believe that Catholicism is true. We are so happy to have you back here in central Illinois. Welcome back, and uh, all the best on your new venture as a theology teacher at St. Anthony High School. Thanks for coming on Dive Deep. Yeah, thanks for having me, Andrew. It's been great. You got it, Sean. This has been Dive Deep. If you would like more podcasts, head on over to dio.org slash podcast. And until next time, we'll see you right here on Dive Deep.